Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 20 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled PSYOPs. Our teacher is Alan Smith. And amen and amen. My goal today is to bring another um, concept, if you will, or perhaps a revelation. As always, I do ask you, and which I know you will test what I say, and uh, I stand before you just to help you out a little bit. I have been pre-tested <laughs> by God. I'm not saying I've aced it, but so you might have a little to, to overlook here. But as we're going into God's Word this morning, I want us to take, uh, to consider there was a big thing that happened to our country this week. Uh, Roe versus Wade and the overturning of that. And that's huge. I mean, that was in place for almost uh, shy of a few months of 50 years that it has been in place. And uh, there has been a lot of children that have died uh, because of this. But Nonetheless, there's, uh, can you imagine the prayers that's went up from God's people on this issue? And I just uh, say that it shows us the magnitude of the battle to see how many years the prayers of the saints actually uh, prayed and took and Say, could God have done it in a moment? I'm, I'm sure, but he would probably be violating some of his own laws. So therefore, we find that we are a participant in, uh, in changing and uh, bringing God and his kingdom into this world. So 50 years to me is a tremendous prophetic sign of the size of this battle. Uh, this battle is ground that uh, will have to be defended. You don't, uh, this is not the winning of the war. This is the winning of a battle. And that means there, there has been territory and ground taken uh, that will still continuously at this point uh, have to be defended. But I take great victory and joy. It's good to win one every now and then, isn't it? I don't know if feel good to. Uh, to win one every now and then. I, maybe that's not a good term to put it in, but it just feels good to win one every now and then. As in the days of Noah's, we pick up where we did last week. You know my verse here, Matthew 24, 37. I went into the days of Noah. Then we started bringing in the concept of my dreams and his purpose. There again, my dreams represents me. His purpose represents God. And it's these two ideologies, if you will, or ideas uh, coming together into a merger. Um, and that is the quest of mankind, the quest of Israel uh, and her God and us as individuals and our God. My dreams and his purpose in the end time church. And I went over this, uh, the greater sign. Now, this is important as I get into this teaching for us to understand and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed, let no man deceive you. So we're into this idea of deception. Uh, I would stop mentioning it if the Bible didn't mention it so much. It's the greatest sign 
that we're in the end times, the greater the deception, keep this in mind as we go, the greater uh, the deception, the greater the battle, the greater the deception, the closer to the end times we are. And, and when we use the terminology end times, that scares a lot of people. It shouldn't really scare us at all. It's just the end of this episode of the earth being like it is, is what it is. And when Jesus comes back and rules and uh, reigns, you're going to be happy about all of it. So, but in this time, he said, let no man deceive you. Now, I'm going to move quickly on the first five or six slides because it's information I've already introduced you to. Deception is an act of spiritual warfare. Now, that's, that's really let that sink in. Say, so, well, deception's deception or whatever, but deception is a form of or an act of spiritual warfare. So when you're being deceived, if it's, if it's an act of spiritual warfare, there needs to be something that goes off in you. It says, oh, hey, this is a war term. This is a place of battle. And uh, uh, almost every passage in the New Testament contains some kind of warning against being uh, deceived. So that is a huge issue here in these end times. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So we see that many will be deceived. But the, the kicker is they're going to come as a Christ or as a Savior type figure. Now, we went over this some last uh, week. Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. This is where our, um, the spiritual battle is a battle uh, here. here this, we, we act and react out of here. We act and react out of here. So if I want to control your actions, I need to have an input here, right? Because this decides what I uh, do, how I act and how I react. So we tend to have this uh, how can I say it? We would that we were all good people. But there again, as you've heard it said uh, by Rick Joyner, wrote a book on it, is how good is good if God didn't want you to know it. In other words, you got the garden, uh, the tree in the uh, garden of, of, in his title, The Knowledge of Good and Evil. Well, so, and God didn't want us to know good. And so, but now we're already in this predicament that we can know good and that we can know evil. So we're still in this battle of good intentions. Now, there's nothing wrong with being good, but you got to understand something. Good intentions is not equal good. In other words, good intentions means you're thinking about doing something good. So it's not good yet. Are you with me? And, 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 so, and so good, good intentions uh, is uh, deceiving. Good intentions is deceiving. And so I can say, well, I've got good intentions. Eh, well, uh, well uh, don't, don't tell me about your intentions. Just let me, see you, let me see you do it. Good intentions is how we deceive ourselves. In other words, we, you've heard it said, I'm sure I judge myself by my intentions. Well, I judge you by what you do. And so I always kind of come out on top because I intend on, I have good intentions and you have good intentions. And we tend to judge ourselves 
by our intentions, and I'm just introducing you to the idea that good intentions uh, can be deceptive to ourselves. So, uh, flattery supports good intentions uh, over obedience. Now, we've already been over this, and I'm not going to redo it, but a wise saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In the 20th century, about 100 million people were murdered by regimes with the motive of good intentions. Good intentions paves a road for evil people to travel on and rule where the road is headed. And this is T.S. Eliot, which we discussed there last week. And, and he said, uh, Thomas Eliot was a poet, essayist, publisher, playwright, literary critic, and editor, considered one of the 20th century's major poets. He's a central figure in English language uh, modernist poetry. Now, this is what he said. But the fact is that the greatest harm in the world has been done by people with good intentions. The bad ones seldom have enough power enough to do great harm. Now, that, that is an interesting statement. And what happens is pe evil people will get on the road of a, a lot of people with good intentions. Can, can you hear me? So there is a, and there again, this is all under the topic of being deceived. So as we, as we kind of look at ourselves and, and test ourselves with all of our good intentions, and then we see that evil people take advantage of people with good intentions, and they ride that road, walk that road to their victory because they will take it over. Uh, and I've said it. I've said it over and over, and I'll say it again. Even with the Democratic Party, I think a lot of people in the Democratic Party has good intentions, but I th but it's been taken over by some evil people, and that's totally contrary to the to the Word of God. I kind of shock people when I tell them this. I guess I'm going to shock y'all. Uh, I'm a registered Democrat. Uh, you say, well, how how can you be a registered Democrat? I, Registered when I was 18 years old. I'm too lazy to change it. So, <laughs> just want to know the truth. I guess you want want, want the truth. Uh, but but I am being. I did ask somebody the other day if you can go online and change it. So you know I have good intentions. All right. Um, I will get that done. <laughs> I'll probably register independent if you don't know the truth. Now. <laughs> Okay, let me see if I can find the Holy Ghost again. Now, good, good intentions that lead to murder in the last days. Now, this is what we're wanting to see. We know that people uh, with Roe versus Wade had good intentions. We're not saying that. The, the argument is always the argument of good, over good intentions. And so as believers and as Christians, it's important that we understand argument. Uh, that's what I wanted to get into today just a little bit. It's important that we... Uh, we understand argument, uh, negotiations, uh, debates. It's, it's important that we understand what's actually going on when we, we think perhaps they're harmless. They're not harmless. They're, it's about the narrative, and I'll show you. Not every German who voted for the Nazis in 1932 had evil intentions. They did not know anything about the murdering of the Jews, and this is for sure. The primary reasons uh, were the Great Depression, Germany's hyperinflation, widespread political violence, and resentment on the Versailles Treaty. So when the, when the Germans were voting, the majority of Germans who voted for Hitler did so with good intentions. 
and uh, of solving uh, Germany's economic and political crisis. So as we vote today, we're in the same spot. Hyperinflation, right? And the economic situation of our country. So, so we tend to fall in this almost, uh, not the same spot as Germany. Let me say this. This is the backdrop when the enemy is making a move. All right? This is what the backdrop looks like. So we now have this, about the same backdrop as, as Germany had. I'm just telling you, it's not much different. And so we find ourselves in this predicament of, of how to vote, what to be for, and I'm going to go into some of that a little more. The Germans who voted for the man and the party that unleashed the greatest documented evil in history were not motivated by bad intentions. So we want, we want to understand about being deceived. And when you're in an argument or debate or whatever, what's being debated is whose intention is the best. It's, it's usually what, you know, we try to accumulate, well, my argument's better than your argument because I have 10 points of good intentions and you have five. So therefore, I should win the argument. Now, I want to show us something about that. Hellish ideas in this country are almost always motivated by people with good intentions. Most Americans who believe that free speech does not apply to anything they decide is hate speech have good intentions. So everything today, the narrative is totally being changed of what hate speech is. And, and uh, does the Word of God sound like hate speech sometimes? Probably does because God hates sin. And, and so I don't know what you want to do with that, but uh, but anyway, anyway, the narrative is trying to be changed by the terminology of, of hate speech. Now, let's, we're going to go deeper into that. Good intentions almost always violate someone else's freedom when outside of the wisdom of God. So when we operate out of good intentions, it is very hard for our pea brains to take in the whole scope of everything that our good intentions are affecting. All right? Political correctness is a deceptive type of legalism. Now, it's totally a it's totally a legalistic spirit. You can have legalism in the church, and uh, uh, the uh, political correctness is a is the same spirit. In other words, it's 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 got these laws, and they're based on two things. One is pride and offense. There's two things: pride and offense. Um, I don't know if any of y'all have seen the movie, What is a Woman? Nobody in the house. You need to watch that little movie, What is a Woman? Uh, you just need to watch it. Now, perhaps I'll ask you again next week how many's watched it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It'll, it'll, uh, if you've got long hair, it'll be short and you get done. Now, now here's, the, here's the deception. I should ignore the smaller sin for a greater good. Now, this is happening all the time now. I'll, I'll ignore the smaller sin for a greater good. Uh, you've heard it said the best time to kill a copperhead snake's when it's little. Don't, don't wait till it gets big. Matter of fact, they say it's just as poisonous when it's little. I don't, I've never tried it, so I don't know. Now, the road to lesser hells in this country is almost always motivated by people with good intentions. Says this in 1 Peter 2 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit. It's a big deal. 
hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. For whosoever, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. Well, that's going to shorten a lot of days. And their lips from deceitful speech. Do you see that? So here, here's the point. Deceitfulness is laced with death. So the scriptures even teach us not to let it come out of our mouths. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. So here we see this. You live in the midst of deception and their deceit. This in Jeremiah. They refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. So as we are in our country today and the world is, is not acknowledging God, what does the scripture say? Uh, you live in the midst of deception, right? So uh, for me to sympathize with you because you said something good, uh, if you don't acknowledge uh, God, I have to consider it to be deceptive. I have to, be, I have to think you're trying to throw me a bone so I'll swallow a camel or something. Because right here the scripture says that, that it's, if, if you can start seeing the case that we're seeing, we're going to start discovering how true to the word of God we are as individuals is, is the issue here. Now, good intentions without godly wisdom leads to evil. The Bible says a person who lacks wisdom is a what? Is a fool. So you can have good intentions, but without the wisdom. You can have good intentions with the wisdom of God, is, is, is my point. So we're getting in from what good intentions lead us, but good intentions with wisdom is good. Uh, Proverbs 26, just as snow should not fall in the summer, nor rain at harvest time, so people should not honor a fool. Okay. Now you can try to soften that if you want to. <laughs> you know, book of Proverbs, it's about wisdom. And, and, uh, and, Today in political correctness, we can take that verse and, and try to soften it. And, and this is my point. A person of good intentions might soften that. A person who's standing on the Word of God won't. You just, this is just what it says. It doesn't mean you like it or not. It's just, there's the truth. And to establish truth, to let God's Word be true, outside of your good intentions is an observation that God wants his people to have. Can you hear that? A fool is someone who is unwise, lacks sense, and lacks judgment. Fools don't want to learn the truth. If you watch that uh, little movie, What's a Woman? That's a lot of the problem. If, uh, once just a question was asked to try to come to some truth, the person get up and walk out. So no, that's uh, you're you're using a hate question. No, no I'm just trying to ask you the tr what a tr uh, is true to you. No, that's a hate question, and so they don't want to learn the truth. Fools are wise in their own eyes, failing to take in wisdom and advice, which will be their downfall. They suppress the truth by their what unrighteousness. Fools rush into danger without the wise. A preparation and thinking about the consequences, and I forgot to put the proverb up that that is. Proverb ten fourteen states, "The mouth of a fool brings ruin near." Now, good intentions are almost always morally worthless. Can you see that? Now, that's one of the problems. It's usually 
good intentions, you're going to have to sacrifice, but as far as morals are concerned, it's usually just worthless. You have good intentions based on godly wisdom. The reason we worry about America is not that its leaders are full of bad intentions, but they are not full of God and His wisdom. See, there, can you see the problem? Because you, if you argue something off the basis of your intentions, you have left the platform of truth. Can, can anybody see that? Um, wisdom can be learned and caught. Learned through studying of God's Word. Caught by hanging out with God. Then I go into this. Wisdom is not taught in our schools is our problem. Why are these men and women devoid of wisdom? How can you go through all of this and, and be, I'm just trying to think of the man's name who sent his diploma back into Harvard last week. His name escapes me. Uh, Oh, I can't believe it, but his name escapes me. But last week he had this saying that uh, how Harvard has so left truth uh, that he he actually wrote a book about it on how Harvard's left the truth of his foundations of any type of wisdom. And he went cited in the book all the ways that they began and how now they're not even recognizable by their beginnings. And he said, therefore, he was led to, to uh, send in his diploma from Harvard, which cost him mega bucks, by the way. Uh, take, uh, to have a diploma from Harvard uh, carries a lot of weight in a lot of circles, in which he now does not have one because he, he sent it back. So that was a huge uh, move. America began to walk on this road to hell when it stopped teaching it in our schools and homes. That's where we started. When we secularized all education, we lost our way. That's how far back we lost it. First, the universities and then the lower grades decided that knowledge could substitute for godly wisdom. You see that? As talk, talk to us in the scripture, I think uh, I got it here that Daniel even said it. Now, our young people get very little wisdom, even though knowledge has increased. Knowledge has increased, but it's lacking wisdom. Can everybody see that? Daniel 12 says this. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge here, it says, shall do what? It shall increase, it, but it says nothing about wisdom. Now, I'm going to get into a term here, psyops. Does anybody know what psyops is? Just, or Trevor. Who else? Okay, there's one, two, three. If you've been in the military, you probably know. Uh, psyops is psychological warfare. Uh, psyops is one of the greatest tools in warfare. It has been for generations. Uh, that's the reason you have to see where, if you don't see where, where we are as a war, you're not going to get a thing in the world that I'm saying. We are in a war. It's a real war. Is it spiritual? Yes. But it is also very real. This is a, people say, well, several wars going to come to America. Or wars going, it's here. We're already in war. Here's, just follow me here a minute. Test what I say, PSYOPs. Now, this is the definition 
uh, from your military. PSYOPs are psychological operations are operations to convey selected information and indicators to audiences to influence their emotions, motives, objective reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals. PSYOPs. Did you know each branch of your uh, uh, military has a, a branch of PSYOPs? The, uh, the whole reason, the whole... Listen, if you're going to... PSYOPs goes in years before a military engagement. I hope you can hear what I'm saying here. A true war is won before you show up. Let me show it to you. I hope you're just a little confused because I'm going to give you the answer here. Now watch it. Some typical tactics of battlefield psyops. Here's, this is typical. Now, you're going to say, well, Alan, are you talking spiritual and the natural? I, I can, see, I can't separate the two. It's the same thing. Now watch this. Now what's a typical tactic? Encouraging the enemy to surrender and giving instructions on how to surrender safely. That's out of your military handbook. This is what we do. Encourage the enemy to surrender and giving instructions on how to surrender safely. Anybody hear that? What's happening to us as Christians? Christians are sur surrendering because it's the safe thing to do. Psyops. You are being deceived. Can anybody hear that? It's deception. People say, well, Alan, we just need to agree with it so everything stays peaceful. I'm like, you're at war. You're at war. That is a tactic of warfare, somebody. Now, here's the problem. You are, you're not standing on truth. Does anybody ever say, well, I'm just going to stay silent for, just so we'll have peace? You just got psyched out is what happened to you. You just were in spiritual warfare and you lost. You see, part of the idea is to make you agree with me and I'm going to make you think you came up with it. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? You think I'm kidding, but I'm very serious. The Bible has been telling us about it since it was written. Watch this. The visual, and here's a visual. It's called shock and awe of a massive attack employing vast numbers of troops or technology advanced weapons. And so what you do is what's called another psycho, uh, psyops is you do shock and awe. Or you go in, you just shock everything. And, th and there's a reason for that. I want you to see it. You're to demoralize your enemy as they go. So you're trying to come in and just bam with just a disastrous thing. And that, that huge disaster is supposed to throw you off and it'll demoralize you. It'll cause you to move from your conviction. Why? Shock and awe. How many people in here are in a crisis that's shock and awe? It's a tactic of the enemy. You got to understand this. Cancer. A child ran off. Whatever you want to... A big, a crisis of that magnet, a divorce. Shock and awe. It's a tact, it's the psyops of the dark side. It's trying to shock you and demoralize you. That God's not real. 
God's not faithful to his promises. It's shock and awe. Our government's been doing it for 200 years, and so has a lot of other governments. It's called PSYOPs. How do you win psychological warfare? Good question. I'll probably not get to all of it today, but I'm going to show you. How do you win in this warfare with the enemy, this psychological? Can, can anybody feel it in the news and everything, this psychological warfare? I mean, we're living in a world of psychological warfare, and somebody will call me about something that's on the news, this, that, and the other, and I'm, I'm like, it's just a level of psychological warfare. It's not even any truth in it. All right, let's, let's watch this. Now, here, how do you win psychological warfare? And I hope you see this. Now, now, this is not me. This is out of the handbook, okay? Negotiation is psychological warfare, and those who are mere adept at it can impose their will on others while allowing them to imagine the opposition has happened. The opposite has happened. Is that not interesting? How do you win? You got to enter into negotiations. Uh-oh, I just hurt some feelings. Oh, I'm the best negotiator I've ever seen. Yeah, you're just trying to outthink somebody else. That's what you're trying to do. That's psyops. Okay, trying to outthink them. Some people take great pride in it in business. It's just psychological warfare. You're just trying to outthink the other person. I'm wanting to point out that's not God. That's all. So you can outthink somebody. Okay, go get your red rose. That's not God. Nego Listen. In spiritual warfare, you don't negotiate truth. Right. Come on. It's non-negotiable. Can you see how we're living in an atmosphere of negotiation? Everybody's trying, well, we'll negotiate. Well, I'll give here if you'll give there. If you, you can't do truth like that. Maybe buying a hot dog, I want with slaw and onions. No, I want with my, Negotiate that one. That's fine. Hot dogs won't hurt you. Truth, it will. Understand something. Truth is not created by God to be negotiated. So when it comes to whatever the truth is, you, you've not been given permission from God to negotiate it. But we get in these situations now, we think we need to negotiate truth. That is psychological warfare of the enemy. If he can just get you into these negotiations, go into the negotiations with truth and don't waver. You might go into a negotiating, but you're not negotiating truth. Now, now, just watch. Go with me here. You can enter the arena of negotiations, but you must not negotiate truth. All right, is everybody with me so far? Here we go. Psyops, Ephesians five six. Let no man deceive you. There's deceive again. With vain words. For because of these things cometh for the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. Now watch it. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through what? Philosophy and empty deception. That happens in negotiations. According to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now I can hear people now, we gotta, you got to negotiate stuff and... And, and you got to negotiate this. and that. You don't negotiate truth. Amen. Now, you might say that you're sorry in negotiations because you have failed truth and you need to repent. But for some reason, we've gotten this idea that 
that because we're in contemporary Christianity now, we can negotiate truth. God's given us his permission, and he just hadn't. When you're into negotiations, just tell the truth. There's nothing to, to negotiate. And if what you're true, if you're telling the truth, don't you? It's not for sale. You say, "Well, Alan will come out, and we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we won't have a resolution to it." Well, you just don't have one. I would rather not have a resolution on truth than to, than than to give away truth to keep peace. I know I might sound a little militant, but we're in the last days. I'm just telling you, you can't get by with it now. It's just not where we are. I did ask my children to pray for me today. I said I might offend a few. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what they told me. <laughs> it's way too funny. Yeah, I mean, they really did a good job. Uh, now, understand something. We are in a war. That's, you've really got to grab. It's not a figure of speech. You're in a real war. The United States is in a real war now. Now, psychological warfare is the planned tactical use of propaganda, threats, and other non-combative techniques during wars. You see. The purpose is to mislead, intimidate, demoralize, or otherwise influence the thinking or behavior. Now, I cannot take credit for those statements. It came out of the handbooks of the United States military. Can you believe that? It's, it's all done on I can understand, oh yeah, well let's do it as far as evil's concerned. But what I'm wanting you to see is we're in a war, this is happening, and it's happening to us right now. And my question is, are you negotiating with it or not? We've got to decide this day whom we serve. Now, the CIA lists the tactical goals of psychological warfare. It's called war, or psychological operations, which is called uh, PSYOPs. To achieve their objective, the planners of psychological warfare campaigns first attempt to gain total knowledge of the beliefs, likes, dislikes, strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities of the target person or population. Now, the, the darkness is doing this. I mean, we, we got drag queens in pulpits. And somebody somewhere thinks that's okay. I will not negotiate that that's okay. That is, not, that is not okay. But this is where we are. How in the world did we get to here? Somebody's negotiating us away. Now listen, to stay silent on these topics is a type of negotiation. We're in a war. Now, watch this. It's a war of the mind. That's what psychological warfare is. It's what we do. If you go in, if you want to invade Iraq or if you want to invade any, any uh, if you want, whatever you want to invade, the psychological warfare there again precedes two to three years before the invasion. So I'm just telling you, we have, we're already at war. The invasion has already taken place and it's the war of the mind. Now watch this. Uh, it's a non-lethal effort to capture the hearts and minds. Simply put, it is a form of cleverly weaponized information. That's what we got to understand. Hitler weaponized information to control the minds and the hearts of the people. 
There's so much information out there now, you're not going to be able to pick what's good and bad. The only thing you can do is go to the Word of God and say, well, here's what the truth is. It's your only hope. It's your only hope. Don't put your cotton-picking reasoning on it and think you're so smart. You're going to be made a fool. Our only response can be the Word of God in this day and hour we're living in. Non-negotiable. Now, the message they carry and how well they influence or persuade the target audience is the goal. Are you with me? The message they carry and how well they influence or persuade the target audience is a goal. Now, this is a guy here. I don't expect you to know him. His name is uh, Daniel Lerner. Now, he wrote a book right after World War II. I've read a lot of it. Uh, and it was just, I mean, it, it was just blowing my mind. Uh, but here's what he said in, uh, in his 1949 book, Psychological Warfare Against Nazi Germany, former OSS, now CIA operative Daniel Lerner details the U.S. military's World War II sky war campaign in his book. Lerner separates psychological warfare propaganda into three categories. Now, I thought this was very interesting. I was going to throw scripture with it, but I didn't. I'm just going to hit it so I can move. I don't have but eight minutes here. There's three shades of propaganda. White propaganda is what he called it. The information is truthful and only moderately biased. The source of the information is cited. And so it's just information, it's true, but it's off just a little. It says it has a bias. Does anybody see that, what it's saying? It has a... Now, you cannot turn on the news today and, and, not, and not get a channel without a bias. Okay? All right. That's called white propaganda. So when, I, when you look at the news, I just feel a little dirty. I don't care who it is. I'm like, hey, yeah, okay, I, I, I'm going to go with this one because it appears uh, to be a little more truthful than others. I don't know. But, but the point is, does it have a bias? Or if it has a bias, I, I know that I, I need to be careful. Now, gray propaganda. The information is mostly truthful and contains no information that can be disproved. And, and that's slick. However, no sources are cited. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's giving information out. Uh, you can't really prove it's not true, but also, but it has no, no sources. So sources are important. That's without trying to develop it further as you got as I read in that book. I have a source for truth, and right here it is. Now, your source means everything. Can anybody hear me? In spiritual warfare, your source means everything. Don't go to battle without your source. You'll get your hat in your hand and be shown the door. If you don't show your source in the, in the arena of the war, you're going to get, you're going to get your hat in your hand. Because it is gray propaganda, and Christians will lose at gray propaganda. All right, now, here we go. The other one's black, black propaganda. Literally, it means fake news. Anybody heard that one? Uh, the information, now this is written in 49, uh, right after World War II. Literally, fake news, the information is false or deceitful and is attributed to sources not responsible for its creation. Anybody see that? 
And, and, and is there any black propaganda today? I just, I just love to have a little white and gray. <laughs> Wouldn't be quite so bad. Now this is in '49, and he wrote this book about World War II. Here we go. As Lerner also wrote, now here's the issue. Credibility is a condition of persuasion. Before you can make a man do as you say, you must make him believe what you say. Why is credibility so important in the house of God? Why is it so important for pastors, for leaders? See, the enemy's trying to destroy your credibility with an affair or this. You don't even have to be a leader in your family, in your business. Your point of influence is the issue. God gives you a purpose with a point of influence, and the enemy's trying to destroy your point of influence through a flawed character so that people won't listen to what you're saying. Now, I'm going to go a little further with this. Credibility is a condition of persuasion. Are you with me? Credibility is a position of persuasion. The goal is to discredit the person or the truth you are trying to destroy. Now, I'm going to move on quickly for sake of time here. Now, here's the psyops in battle. Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the remnants of the world, and not after Christ. So we can see here Paul was having this same problem then. Right? Same problem. Deceit is spoken about more in the New Testament than anything, any, any control. First John, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, and even as he is righteous. Now, I'm going to get into this. Shock and awe is a psyop tactic for war. These crises in your life, it's like we go from crisis to crisis to crisis. Um, it is a design of the powers of darkness to send you shock and awe every day of your life. Now, I won't be able to do it today, but I'm going to show you how do we deal with this shock and awe. We're going to go into it, how we deal with it. But... Just understand, shock and awe is a type of psychological warfare. And the Apostle Paul addressed it, and the Scriptures addressed it. Now here's, I'm going to give you a little bit of early psychological warfare. I'll probably have to quit after this, but I'll show you how far back we can go here. When soldiers of the Roman legions beat their swords against their shields, they were using a tactic of shock and awe, designed to induce terror. Are, are you with me? So that's what you call shock and awe. They're trying, it's trying to, we're in a war. Did I say that? The enemy is trying to cause terror through the church of Jesus Christ. He's now con convinced us that we're this huge minority, which is just because you hear them beating their swords against their shields to make a big racket doesn't mean it's a lot of people. Come on. It's just a big racket. It's just like in Germany. The evil people in Germany, it wasn't many of them. They couldn't get to their goal unless they rode the road of good intentions of a huge majority of the people. Now, 
In 525 B.C., called the, the Battle of Pelusium, Persian forces held, watch it, look at this, held cats as hostages in order to gain a psychological advantage over the Egyptians who, due to their religious beliefs, refused to harm cats. So they run around, got a bunch of cats, cut their heads off, and threw it at them. You ever try to go to battle with killing cats? It worked. Here's the point. Psychological warfare will create situations that look so stupid you can't believe it's happening. Are we seeing anything that looks so stupid you almost feel ashamed to even have the conversation? It's dead cats. Do you realize how far and how deep into warfare we are? Watch this. To make the number of his troops seem larger uh, than they actually were, 13th century A.D. leader of the Mongolian Empire, Genghis Khan, ordered each of soldiers to carry three lit torches at night. Three lit torches. Why? To make them look bigger than they really are. I'm here to declare that the church of Jesus Christ is larger than all these demons of hell is controlling our earth. I mean, I am. I, I can do it on a reverse mirror. I can look out there and see what's happening and know that it's false. It's fake news. It's a lie. We know we win. We know God won. Either Jesus was defeated at the cross or not, somebody. Which one are we believing? I'm telling you, psychological warfare has gotten hold of the church of Jesus Christ. The goal of PSYOPs is to make the enemy appear larger than he really is. Adolf Hitler's rise to power in Germany was driven largely by propaganda designed to discredit his political opponents. His furious speeches were convincing the people to blame others for Germany's self-inflicted economic problems. Japan's famous, I did this one, Tokyo Rose broadcast music with false information of Japanese military victories to discourage ally forces. Germany used similar tactics through the radio broadcast uh, called Axis Sally. But here's where, here's where I'm headed. The reason all of that was done, all of this propaganda, you got to hear me. Who controls the narrative is who controls the person or the country. Now, the enemy captured our news sources, Hollywood, the news media, the Internet. The dark side captured all of these places of media. Can you hear me? Why? To control the narrative. They're controlling the propaganda that's being inserted into America and the world. And I'm here to declare to you it's a lie out of the pit of hell. And God's called his people to a higher standard. God's given us a source that we source to. It's called the Word of God. Yes. It is true. It's the only truth out here in these last days. Don't even try to use the other. I'm telling you it's deceptive. Okay, if you want to hear any more on this, you're going to have to come back next week. I'm going to try to give us some uh, more understanding, education, if you will, to this prophetic class of how 
as we declutter ourselves of all these psyops of the enemy, you'll be amazed at how much clearer the voice of God gets. It's designed to clutter so we can't hear the voice of God. Okay, on that high note, let's stand and I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and I thank you for this day. I ask and pray, oh God, that if anything that I've said is not of you, that it would fall to the ground. But I was compelled, oh God, to teach this today and to tell the truth on how your people's being deceived by this world. So Lord God, we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would come this day. Let your spirit rest upon truth. Be with these people, oh God. If there's any truth that I said, let it be quickened to the hearts. Anything I said wasn't of you, let it fall. But Lord God, I pray that this group of people, that will be a knowledgeable people of you and your spirit and your word, and we will walk boldly and courageous because we know the God in whom we serve. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.